Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Sarah McDonald, that would be you. That would me be... (laughs) (laughs) I was ready to say that again, but now I know it's not being cut out. That would be me. We are also joined, as always, by producer Annabelle Wayne. That would be me. (laughs) Coming up Uh, on today's show... Everything you need to know about that tragic Alec Baldwin shooting. A series of articles suggest John Mulaney and Olivia Munn have already broken up. Unpacking the dire Bachelorette ratings, making sense of those Grant Denyer paparazzi photos, and then my two cents is back. But first, Zara, how was your week? Pretty good week. I mean, actually about as good as it gets, to be honest. It was lovely to do things again. I went out for dinner to the same restaurant twice because I couldn't get in anywhere else, which is big post-lockdown energy. (laughs) You actually posted something at the Greek restaurant I think you're talking about. There was like fire underneath the foil and you clearly found it impressive because you put it on your Instagram story. I did it on the first night and then the second night everyone was like let's order it again how funny would it be if you uploaded it again and I was like haha so funny and I was like I don't actually think it was that funny. Yeah it was like this flaming feta kind of capsicum-y chili thing. I want to know how the flame was underneath the foil and how it kept, like they kept lifting it up and the flame kept going. Yeah, we were wondering this both times and I was like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure they've clearly just like poured petrol into this bowl, lit it up and then just put some food on top of it, but I am not complaining. Love a side of petrol with my dinner. (laughs) I also went to mum and dad's house for dinner, which I haven't obviously been able to do for a long time. And mum had big old balloons on the gate as if it was a four-year-old's birthday party. And I did think to myself as I was going into the house, like, I feel quite, <laughs> I feel quite triggered by this because I walked in and I was like, mum, why have you got balloons on the gate? And she's like, I knew you'd be embarrassed by this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm embarrassed by this because I feel like it made me think there is a niche type of child out there that has a lot of internal shame and embarrassment <laughs> because their parents are Christmas light people. And my parents... <gasps> are the kinds of people that are Christmas light people that always embarrass me with whatever they have on the outdoor no, of their house. This is a grass is greener situation. You are mistaken. No. Kids who do not have the Christmas light thing going on are not looking at you turning up our noses being like, mm, Christmas. You don't understand. Mum and Dad only started doing Christmas lights when I was like 15. <laughs> Count yourself lucky, Darren. <laughs> so Mum and Dad started doing them when I was 15 and I reckon any teenager who had Christmas lights when you're in the peak of your shame, I would go out and get dropped back home in an Uber and make the Uber drop me like four houses <laughs> down the road. Teenagers suck though. Like I, I get in my car and drive around looking for Christmas lights because we were never that family. It's a yearly tradition that me, my sister and my brother-in-law do. We go to the Christmas lights. Do you have them on your house? No. I think you're in 
one of two camps. <laughs> I think if you've grown up with them and you have a lot of shame about Christmas lights and the balloons reminded me of this. I was like, why do you have to do this to me? I loved the balloons. It made me smile when I saw that on your story. <laughs> Same. When do the Christmas lights come down? I think this is a crucial factor. They go up, obviously, like November, December, that's fine. If they're still up at the end of Jan... A lot of pity, I feel, in my soul. I feel a lot of judgment. Well, what used to happen was also mum and dad always used to go away straight after Christmas so they'd stay up in the weeks <laughs> after Christmas too and you'd just be like, my God. Now, look, I appreciate the Christmas sentiment. I know we're not even in Christmas yet, but it did make me think a lot about Christmas lights and a lot about Christmas lights, shame. And I cannot be the only one. What about your recommendation for the week? So I read one of the better profiles that I've read in a while this week in the cut. It is called Katie Couric is not for everyone. It was written by Rebecca Traster. If you haven't heard of Katie Couric, just strap yourselves in because this is quite a story. Katie Couric was at the helm of the US Today show for a long time alongside Matt Lauer. Now, Matt Lauer was very famously the Today Show anchor who was accused of sexual misconduct during the Me Too movement. And the TV show Morning Wars is very much based on the dynamic between those two of what happens when overnight your anchor gets sacked and everyone looks at Katie Couric and was like, you worked with him for years. How did you not know? She has written a memoir at the moment. Now, I'm finding the parallels between a lot of things really interesting because you've got Katie Couric releasing her memoir. You've got Morning Wars, one of our favourite TV shows, Mish, going on right now, where a memoir is the centre storyline. And you've got Lisa Wilkinson in Australia releasing hers. The drama in TV morning shows is like our crack, our personal crack right now. Zara sent me this profile and was like, you have to read it. And I took like a full hour out of my day just to... I was just engrossed. Like the whole profile was so interesting and Katie Couric came across like a very complicated person. Well, it feels very much like she's put everything on the table in this memoir. Like she's told stories that aren't going to make her look very good. For example, she tells the story of when she was interviewing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the former Supreme Court judge who is no longer with us. She admits to cutting down her quotes where she was saying pretty racist stuff. She admits to like cutting those quotes to protect her and is happy Mm. to tell those stories to be like, yeah, I, I really did some dodgy things. So it's a really interesting piece. If you're interested in morning TV drama, if you're particularly interested in what's going on with Lisa Wilkinson in Australia at the moment, you will be very very interested in this. Great recommendations. How was your week? My week was great. I have clearly gone a little far with the weekend festivities because I have an ulcer right now and I feel like I have a three-day hangover or something. Like, Annabelle, do you feel run down? Yeah, it happens to the best (laughs) of us. It really does. There's no fitness. There's no social stamina. There's no fitness regarding socialising or drinking or doing anything at all. None. I feel like the city opened up and my bank account was just emptied with it and now I'm sitting here on Wednesday recording this episode being like, wow, I'm a bit shaken. Like my body has <laughs> not been prepped for this. Recommendation. I have a good one. Have either of you heard of couples therapy? I have loved this show for a while. I feel like maybe years ago I recommended it on Shameless, but I'm not quite sure. I don't remember you recommending this. Yeah. Is it a drama? It's not a drama. I'm couples thinking of someone else. <laughs> couples therapy is like a documentary cross reality TV show a little bit. Essentially, you follow four couples as they go through therapy. So you meet the couples therapist, you see every session, it gets cut up and you kind of get to know these couples and you get to know every side of their relationship issues from like the beginning to the end. And at the end, you find out if they stay together, if they break up, what happens. Bit of Esther Perel about this. A lot of Esther Perel about this. And I've got to say, it is fascinating. So you can already binge the entire first season and it's epic. Like you find out everything from... Are these Australian couples? No, American. Right. But very. I think it's very, very good at showing different kinds of relationships as well. It's not just one like heteronormative relationship, but you find out about like affairs. You see the insides of like their worst fights, their worst moments. It is juicy and fascinating stream it on SBS On Demand. So it's also a free stream for you all. You're so welcome. Very, very, very good show. Always makes me wonder what drives people to sign up for these shows. In the same way that it always makes me wonder who agrees to go on border security or yes. like that RBT. <laughs> Why are you showing your face on RBT? I have to say, slight tangent, RBT is one of the those shows that once I'm watching, they can never get me off the couch nah. because they always clickbait you before the ad break. They're like, 
Yeah. And then you and your partner are always like, what do you reckon? (laughs) (laughs) Underrated show, RBT. super (laughs) underrated. Anyway, let's get into the first segment of the show. We are, of course, starting with that very tragic shooting out of the set of Rust with Alec Baldwin. Mish, I think what we thought we'd do today is give a little bit of extended background on this story because there are so many stories flying around about it everywhere and we wanted to condense it all in one place. Yeah, I think as well people were so shocked when this story was broken to the world that maybe they've picked up bits and pieces but they don't know a really holistic overview of exactly what went down. So this broke on Friday afternoon Melbourne time last week that Alec Baldwin, the very famous actor, had been involved in a fatal shooting while filming Rust in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So Alec was both starring in and producing the film. According to a written statement by the film's director, Joel Souza, Alec Baldwin was practising a scene that involved him pointing a gun at the camera lens when apparently it accidentally went off. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins was reportedly hit in the middle of her body while Joel Souza was hit in his right shoulder. Helena died as she was being airlifted to the hospital. Yeah, so Helena is survived by her son and her husband and I guess immediately when this story broke, everybody wondered straight away, like, what are the events that lead up to something so tragic and something so avoidable happening? According to The Guardian, the cameras weren't rolling at the time. So Alec Baldwin was sitting on this wooden church pew, apparently, on the set and trying out a scene in which he would, like, cross-draw a revolver from his holster. I'm doing the action, but I don't know why because this is a podcast. (laughs) Now, Hutchins and Sousa were checking the camera angle, so clearly in very close range. In a statement the next day, Alec Baldwin was very quick to jump on this and to express just how shattered he was by the turn of events. He wrote on Twitter, There are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother and deeply admired colleague of ours. I am fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred and I am in touch with her husband offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son and all who knew and loved her. Yeah. Now... (sighs) In the days that have passed since, I think people are so bewildered as to how something like this happens. Like, why is there even a gun with bullets in it on a movie set? Shouldn't there be prop guns? And doing research, it's quite interesting. Apparently, films that have action, that have gun scenes in them, have to have an armourer on hand. So that's essentially someone who handles the guns. Now, this film's armourer was a 24-year-old, so quite young. Her name's Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. Apparently, she was in charge of checking the prop weapons. She then reportedly passed this gun to Dave Halls, the assistant director, who was supposed to recheck it before handing it on to Alec Baldwin. Now, reportedly, when Baldwin had this gun placed in his hand, he was told it was a cold gun, and that means a gun without ammunition in it. Yeah, so at the time of recording... It's still pretty unclear why and how this gun contained bullets. I think it's been how many days? Five or six days. And there still seems to be really scattered details on how this actually gets into the gun. According to TMZ, the gun that killed Hutchins was also being fired recreationally even when the cameras weren't rolling in what they called target practice. So essentially TMZ are alleging that some of the crew were doing kind of like recreational shooting during the breaks Mm. and that some of the blanks and some of the bullets were sometimes being sorted in the same area, which just genuinely blows my mind. Like how long Hollywood has been in existence, how long they would have dealt with props like guns and how they wouldn't have the most firm set process around this blows my mind. Particularly when you see how similar a blank looks to a bullet. Like I am clearly not very well versed in guns. Like I do not purport to be, I don't particularly want to be very educated in guns to be honest. But when you see these two things side by side, to think they were being stored in the same area blows my mind. They are almost indistinguishable from each other. Yeah. And again, that hasn't been confirmed. Like that is still a report from TMZ, but a really troubling one anyway. 
I think the other thing that's come out about this that has also really troubled people is that there's been a wave of speculation about the conditions on the set of Rust in the wake of Hutton's death. So according to The Guardian, affidavits that were released on Sunday night do paint this picture of a really dysfunctional and feuding set where five crew members walked out on Thursday just hours before the shooting because they were unhappy with pay and conditions. And it's like when you've got these people who are already being very vocal about how they don't feel comfortable on this set and then this happens it's like this just feels so avoidable yeah even the movie's chief electrician wrote in a facebook post it's the fault of negligence and unprofessionalism the negligence from the person who was supposed to check the weapon on the site did not do this the person who had to announce that the loaded gun was on the site did not do this the person who should have checked the weapon before bringing it to the set did not do it this chief electrician also said producers should have hired an armorer with more experience. How much experience can a 24-year-old have? Like, I don't mean to be ageist, but 24 is incredibly young to be on the set of a movie in charge of guns. Yeah, well, it was only her second project. And I think what's been unfortunate about this is that there have been resurfaced quotes from her in recent podcast interviews come to light where she said that she was kind of a bit unsure of herself about whether to take a job like this one because she wasn't sure how experienced she felt and unfortunately when those quotes kind of come back to light in the wake of this everybody's like ah like mm. could we have potentially thought this through a little bit more I mean, to make matters worse, there also seems to be a history of negligence here, to be honest. Three crew members who have worked with the assistant director, David Halls, who you mentioned before, Mish, on another movie in 2019 told CNN that a rifle was also unexpectedly discharged on that set and that Halls was ultimately fired from the project. Yeah, he was the one who handed the gun to Alec Baldwin. So, I mean, just a litany of things here with this movie where people are scratching their heads going, how has this happened and how is now a mother and a very, very successful director, producer now dead? Yeah, and I think... Really curiously as well, last week, the actress Juliette Lewis, I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but she posted this really lengthy statement to Instagram lamenting the working conditions, particularly for crew, like lamenting how the health and safety of crew members on set are very rarely prioritised, that they work stupid hours, that no one often protects them, that it's it's not legal, that shouldn't be happening like this. People like Kristen Bell and Aisha D reposted that statement being like, yes, something needs to change. And then this happens and it's like clearly this is an industry-wide problem that has tragic consequences when people don't want to fix it. Coming up after the break, a series of articles suggest John Mulaney and Olivia Munn have broken up, unpacking the dire bachelorette ratings, and then Zara's two cents. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Zara, how do you indulge? Oh, good question, Mish. Probably with a night at home on the couch watching Morning Wars or something like that. How about you? (laughs) Of course. I'm going to go a little bit more lowbrow. I do love Morning Wars, as we know. But I do at the moment enjoy indulging in front of whatever reality TV show I can get my hands on. Even if your partner or housemate doesn't indulge in the same way as you, you will always have the perfect indulgence buddy in Haagen-Dazs and their new duo ice cream range. Yeah, Haagen-Dazs was founded in 1960 with a vision of creating ice cream that tastes like a spoonful of luxury. And let me tell you, they have definitely succeeded. Haagen-Dazs creates their high-quality creamy textures using carefully selected ingredients, so every mouthful really does leave you wanting more. Yep, their new duo ice cream collection is a perfect mix of your two favourite ice creams side-by-side, entwined with silky smooth chocolate sauce and crunchy chocolate shards, creating the ultimate dessert experience. Yum, the duo ice cream collection comes in two flavours, including dark chocolate and salted caramel, as well as Belgian chocolate and vanilla. Every scoop of Haagen-Dazs ice cream starts with real cream, milk, eggs and sugar, so you are sure to be hit with a unique texture and an unforgettable taste. When you get your next moment of solitude, it's time for Haagen-Dazs o'clock. Treat yourself to the ultimate indulgence with the duo range the next time you're shopping at your local Coles, Woolies and select IGA stores. Thank you so much to Haagen-Dazs ice cream for making this episode of Shameless Possible. And now it is time for the quick and... What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping that 
Party. I don't have a nickname. I'll keep laughing to give you think time. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle. Elizabeth out of lockdown, Andrews. It's about as good as I get. It's a four out of ten. (laughs) What have you got for me? My first story. Are John Mulaney and Olivia Munn still together? Or that is from Vulture. Now, for any new listeners of Shameless, first of all, welcome to the gang. Very happy to have you. Second of all, if you're confused by this story, we did a big segment on it a few weeks ago. Essentially, John Mulaney is a very famous comedian out of America, well known for things like SNL, et cetera, et cetera. Olivia Munn, famous actress, I'm sure you would all recognise. Her from, come on. Um, Newsroom. Newsroom, sure. Lovely. That show I love. I've never seen an episode of. <laughs> Olivia Munn, John Mulaney had an interesting origin story of getting together. There were some overlapping timelines or some questionable timelines with John and his ex-wife. Now... They were very, very quickly pregnant, weren't they, Zara? Super quickly pregnant. So I feel like John Mulaney and Olivia Munn might well be 2021's either most controversial couple or perhaps most talked about couple. People are really interested in them. Now, there have been rumours that have surfaced in the last couple of days suggesting that these two already might have split. Now, news of them getting together only kind of landed in magazines in May. So it's now October, they're having a baby, the baby's not here yet, and yet rumours are that they've split. Now, it started, of course, as most of these rumours start, with the gossip page Dumois on Instagram, who posted a couple of unconfirmed rumours that... Both of these two aren't together anymore. Now, both of these rumours kind of said the same thing, that these two weren't together anymore, but they weren't going to announce anything. They weren't going to fake their relationship. They were just going to kind of let it be. Yeah, and one of the rumours included that potentially infidelity had been involved in some way or another. Before we move off to moi, I just want to say one time a listener reached out to us via DM and went, isn't it pronounced Duke's Moy? Shout out to that listener. <laughs> Far out. The confidence. As if you don't Google it first as well. Dirk's Moy. Dirk, nah, like no disrespect. The amount of things that are mispronounced coming out of my name. My name. My now. There you go. Shout out to Minseppi's. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even me. So, yeah, after Dirk's Moy posted this, Us Weekly came out with their own report reporting that their relationship is facing, and I quote, uncertainty. An unnamed source told the magazine this has been an imperfect relationship from the start. Now, again, as we say, these are all still unconfirmed reports and I appreciate we don't often report on those in the podcast, but there is something so totally believable about this story, isn't there? Yeah, well, I think what we know about John Mulaney, what we have read about him, what he has said in interviews, this just rings true for me. I'm not going to say that it's 100% categorically accurate, but... My gut says this is pretty robust compared to other rumours that we see in the same domain. Don't you just think that if this is true, this is just an extension of the stereotype even more? Like, What stereotype just, are you alluding to? It's like you <laughs> want to say the stereotype but you don't no, want No, no, I don't actually know. That. I just mean like that stereotypical story of this guy who kind of clearly messes up his marriage because that's what his ex-wife alleges, mm. kind of moves on very quickly, has a baby and is like, oh, whoops, not yeah. that either. And Slip it's off. like, yeah. <laughs> may- I slipped there. Yeah, it's like may- make up your mind. I think it's just frustrating. But I am really interested in what's going to happen here because when the baby's born, we're going to need to know if they're together. Yeah. We need it. Well, I don't think we're going to be told. Yeah, it. I don't think we're going to be told either. <laughs> My second story, the pictures that sparked Grant Denyer's fury. Unseen photos show TV host with his hand on 22-year-old Dancing with the Star partner's thigh after he cheated on wife Chezzy. That is from the Daily Mail. My goodness, this is a story. Now, this was originally published late last week. Everything began with quite an interesting new idea cover. As it always does, doesn't it? New Idea magazine really bring the drama with this one. Yeah, so last week New Idea published photos of Grant Denyer with his hand on the thigh of his Dancing with the Stars partner Lily Cornish, who is 22, in between sort of rehearsals for Dancing with the Stars, of course. So they ran with the headline Grant Denyer Caught Out. Now, what was interesting about the photos is they're not sort of sitting on a seat 
the way that I would describe it, and this is one of those things where I actually don't know how I would describe this like everyday thing but you know when you're not sitting on a seat but you're sitting like you're perched on like the window of a shop because there's like a little bit of a landing like a windowsill oh my god (laughs) they're perched on a low hanging windowsill (laughs) have you ever seen people perched on a high hanging windowsill (laughs) (laughs) but like it's not like their feet were hanging like their feet were on the ground because they're not toddlers yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) anyway it's a low hanging windowsill now her head is on his shoulder his hands on her thigh and her arm is sort of overlapping now there's a lot of points of contact going on it's not like one point of contact there are three points of bodily contact with various limbs yeah and chesie and grant really came out hard against this story straight away so on instagram chesie denya came out and rubbished the article straight away she said what the actual hell is this front page crap new idea she said that the photos had completely been taken out of context lily is like our adopted daughter we grew extremely close during her month long stay with us here in Bathurst. We absolutely adore her. I know full well the context of this pic and I think the headline is gross and really mean. Paul Lills doesn't deserve this defamation of character. She also went on to claim that the photographer who took the photos had apologised to her for the images being taken out of context. Super interesting because often when New Idea publish things, the celebrities at the heart of the story just ignore it. They just go, no one's going to believe that. I'm not even going to give that more oxygen or airtime. That was absolutely not the approach taken here because Grant Denyer also responded the morning the magazine was published as well. He told the radio show Husey at an errand that the pictures actually showed him consoling Lily after she had reportedly received some sad personal news. He also backed up Chesie and said that the photos were taken out of context and that they had just wrapped up a video call with Chesie where she had been like, I don't know, involved in the interaction. Yeah, exactly. And he also wrote on Instagram Instagram. My wife and I are used to fabricated stories from these types of magazines. We've had a life for it, but Lily, she's a 22-year-old kid. This kind of treatment is brutally unfair and disgusting. I am a dad of three girls, and if any friend is having a bad day or a tough time, I'm going to be there for them. End of story. I actually think what should be mandatory in these kind of scenarios when paps take photos that really do try to ruin the reputations of people is there should be video footage. Like you should have to release that too because I would love to see the video footage of this because it's really, really easy for a slight tap or something like that to look far more intimate than it actually is. Even if video footage came out though, say that this embrace wasn't a slight tap, say they were sitting there for 30 seconds, would a video make it instantly better? Like I just think everyone experiences affection in different ways. I kind of feel like maybe this is something that Grant and Chesie are both comfortable with. I'm not sure video would instantly make this any better. I think the way they handled this is really great. I think this is an inevitable part of being a celebrity. It's a downside for sure. But to their credit, I actually think they handled this like pros because instantly even the Daily Mail which is saying something we're going oh this is bullshit like no one's actually believing anything's going on here. What's really interesting about the Daily Mail's reporting about this straight away is they weren't reporting on it being a rumour that every time they mentioned it being a rumour they reported it as a false rumour as if it was a rumour that had already been debunked so I think credit to them for jumping on it straight away I mean it's a lot of energy to be spent on new idea in Daily Mail and I'm sure they couldn't be bothered but I mean I still kind of think In many cases, video would help with paparazzi photos because so much is taken out of context, but I do appreciate your point. My third story, The Bachelorette 2021 premieres to record low audience. That is from news.com.au. A pretty disappointing one, actually, because we watched the premiere episode last week. We discussed it on this show. We both absolutely adored it. I really enjoyed the second episode as well. We said last week, God, it will be interesting to see the ratings. It looks like Channel 10 has really invested a lot into this season. Hopefully people are backing Brooke Blurden in the way that we think they should. Unfortunately, that didn't exactly happen. So the season debuted last Wednesday night to 397,000 viewers across the five major metro cities. That is unfortunately the worst Bachelor premiere to date. It lost easily as well to The Block, which attracted an audience of 851,000 people, which is about 450,000 people more. Mm. 
I didn't realise people were watching the block. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm kind of watching the block while I'm waiting for Love Island to come on. Okay, interesting. So it ranked 14th for the night in terms of all people ratings. But what I think is really interesting to note here is that it was a popular choice for younger viewers. So it ranked second in that 18 to 49-year-old demographic and first for viewers between the 16 to 39 demographic. Now, it would be really, really interesting to chat to someone at Channel 10 and work out what they consider a success. Like, mm. is it nailing that market and being very specific about that market? Like, are they trying to nail everyone or now knowing that they can't get everyone anymore? Are they just trying to be number one for young people? Yeah, I'd be really interested to go back and look at the ratings across different seasons as well. Has it been that they've always just ranked first for 16 to 39? Was there a time when they ranked first amongst all age demos? And maybe if it's only ever been the 16 to 39 demographic that they've had a stranglehold on, as we turn away from free-to-air television, maybe that number's going to dwindle and it's not a reflection of Brooke. It is not a reflection of the people involved in the show, it's a reflection of our viewership habits changing. Because I can say with like complete sincerity, this is the strongest Bachelor or Bachelorette season we have seen in years. I totally agree with you. I completely agree with you. That's what was a little bit surprising about this. But I do kind of think the lead was buried a little bit when people were reporting about these ratings because it's like, okay, well, if young people are switching on, maybe that's what they're actually going for at the end of the day. Mm. Annabelle, are you watching? I am. This is kind of maybe a silly question, but that number but isn't including people who watch on Templay. No. That's that, the thing. Because I watched both episodes on Templay because I was doing something that night. Yeah. Both nights. I think that's totally fair. And I think that if you spoke to Channel 10, they would say that as well, is that they're not as fast as much. I mean, that's what people always say, but this is the public stuff that's released. So I think mm. you've got to care a little bit, but I think they will say they're probably going for that 10 play market as well. Yeah. And apparently Bachelor has been renewed for next year as well. So we're yes. going to see it back. So something, even with dwindling numbers, something is clearly working for them very well still. My fourth story, exclusive. They took everything. Love Island's Molly May Haig and Tommy Fury are victims of £800,000 burglary after experienced gang targeted their Manchester flat while the famous couple partied in London. That is from Daily Mail. I feel like this story kind of flew under the radar. Mm, yeah, a little bit. Because, like, particularly given how many people care about Molly May and Tommy. I mean, we did a major segment on these two just this year. Yeah, exactly. So if you can't remember who Molly May is, she is the 22-year-old ex-Love Island UK star who turned her reality TV fame into a total empire, really. She is one of the most successful influencers in the world. She's launched a series of businesses off the back of her reality TV stint and also signed a very highly publicised collab with Pretty Little Thing earlier this year. Yeah, she's their creative director. Now, at around 10 o'clock on Thursday night, the 21st of October, so last week, Molly and Tommy were in London at another major collaboration. She's done a hair care line with Beauty Works and was doing their Christmas launch when an experienced gang targeted their flat in Manchester and stole basically everything the couple owns. So according to an insider, I quote, it seems to be an experienced gang who know what they're doing as they had machinery and waited for Molly and Tommy to be away. They have stolen approximately £800,000 worth of belongings, leaving Molly and Tommy with nothing left other than what they had on them in their suitcases in London on the night of the event. Now, this has something like a Kim Kardashian-esque yeah. slant to it almost, this idea of a woman who has been very public with her possessions online, who lives that very aspirational lifestyle, who unfortunately has clearly had criminals watching her and tracking her online, figuring out when they can pounce and get their hands on all these goods, all these luxury items they know that she owns. This is where it gets really complicated, doesn't it? Because I think what is central to the career and the life of an influencer is to be sharing everything they do, where they are and what they own, because a lot of this is about aspiration, right? Mm. But in doing that, you accidentally become the biggest target and it's no one's fault. Like it's definitely on the record, not the fault of Molly May and Tommy. It is just sort of like this really unfortunate world that we live in right now where it's like, well, how do you balance both of those things? We even have local influencers who have definitely been burgled because they post enough for people to try and work out where they live and what they own. Like A lot of car robberies yes, as well. It's yeah. really, really hard because it's like, okay, well, what is Molly May to do? 
her career is completely dependent on her posting about things. Molly may have to be posting at this event because this was an event that she was like the star of. Mm. So it would have been dependent on her posting and therefore being out of town. She couldn't get away with that. No. One of the spookier elements of this story as well is that if you follow Molly quite closely, like we know that I do, I'm a big Molly Mae fan, a lot of her followers have actually been commenting for months on those more materialistic posts. Molly, be careful. Molly, remember what happened to Kim Kardashian. Molly, I'm worried about you being robbed. So there was almost foreshadowing here as well, which just adds another element to the story that's quite troubling. On top of that, I found it really interesting as well. If you look on Twitter, there is this very strong narrative from fans of Molly May saying, how dare people put the blame onto Molly? How dare people say that she can't post the things that she owns? No one is saying that. Like, absolutely, Molly and Tommy are victims and it would be fucking horrific to have everything you own. I don't care if that's designer stuff. I don't care if it's sentimental stuff, any kind of stuff. That sucks to have your whole life and all your possessions kind of ripped away and stolen from you. But there has to be some level of conversation about the sobering reality of this. Like, This is in part because people knew what she owned. People know where she lives. People know the layout of her house. I watch all of her vlogs and I would know exactly where some of her stuff is stored because she does all of it from her major wardrobe, her major closet, where people know where everything is. Like when you live this level of transparency online, where you live that out, the sobering reality is unfortunately you are a target and that sucks and it's awful, but it's just the truth. I think what also sucks about this, though, to extend on your point, is that followers demand that level of transparency from influencers. That's why they give it. It's like when anyone is a little bit close and says, I don't want to go and dig into that, people push them to. Like they want every part of them. So it's like this very awkward scenario where it's like, okay, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm. Did the influencer give everything to the follower and therefore that's what the follower came to expect? Or did the follower demand knowing everything about their life? So that's what they had to give up. Like it's just really sad all around. And I think there is something particularly invasive about knowing that there was a group of people in your space as well. And Molly and Tommy reportedly aren't ever going back to that apartment ever, which is sad when you have a lot of memories there and a lot of stuff there that you may not be able to see again. Yeah. Well, your life has been uprooted and you've had to now move and change everything. So insane. My fifth story, football legend mocked by fans over bizarre video with daughter. That is from Yahoo. Why do you keep bringing stories like this to the podcast? Just you, wait. Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle's going to love this story. Do you know this story? No. Okay. I don't want to talk about it. So uh, this story is centering on a Manchester United icon by the name of Paul Scholes. Now, Paul Scholes played 499 games for the team, which is a really annoying number. <laughs> that would just kill would, you. Yeah, it would kill you. 499. Now, he is widely regarded as one of the greatest players to have ever gone through the club. Got a lot of history, a lot of respect. Now, over the weekend, his 20-year-old daughter, Alicia, posted a video to Instagram and the video was of her foot foot out like this and her dad had her foot in his hands and he was biting her toenails. Oh, what? He was biting her toenails. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he's like rubbing her foot and then he starts chewing on her toenails (laughs) and her caption is true love. Oh, no. But like there are so many thoughts in my head. Are we being trolled? Like is this something where she's like I'm going to become famous because my dad is chewing my toenails? And even if that's the truth, Alicia, if you're listening, if that's the truth, not worth it. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The amount of money you would have to pay me to get a romantic partner to chew my toenails, let alone my dad. Dad, if you're listening, shout out. I, like the the number doesn't exist. There's not a number high enough that could pay me to do that, well, let alone then post that to social media. She's gained like at the time that I was researching for this story, she's gained about 25,000 followers, which is like 5,000 per toenail. <laughs> So I'm like, I mean, it's a lot of followers to gain in the wake of this story. I'm just like, there's so many layers of this. Like why? (laughs) Absolutely. It's just gross. That's the layer. But how do you have a conversation with your dad where, or what kind of relationship do you have with your dad where he feels comfortable biting your toenails? Also, is it? 
like a functional biting? Is he removing her toenails and like giving her oh, a right. petty with his teeth? Now I feel a bit sick. No, you, but that's what you've got little clippers for. What if they run out? Oh, they <laughs> lost theirs. Not everyone owns scissors, Zara. Well, scissor privilege over there. Fucking wear some slides until you work it out. <laughs> that's all for today's we can do. Yeah, that is definitely all. First the fucking toilet story and now this. I didn't bring them. They were you just did. in the news. I didn't create the stories. They just They just are. All right, guys, it is back. And that's my two cents. Zara, this is the segment where you or I come to the table and share a rogue, potentially slightly unpopular opinion. What do you have for us today? Okay, well, rogue might be overstating it, just (laughs) to sort of manage expectations before we're jumping in. (laughs) This is my, whatever we call it, my two cents. Kate Beckinsale, I believe, is well within her rights to talk about her high IQ and for feminist publications to take aim at her drains me more than it entertains me. Interesting. Annabelle, have you seen this story around? Yes, I have. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to working out who's two cents. <laughs> <laughs> you agree with. So a little bit of backtrack, a little bit of context for people, Mish, before we jump into this, because we haven't heard or seen much from Kate Beckinsale in a little while, to be honest, but she is essentially known for her roles in a series of movies like Click and Pearl Harbor, as well as the Underworld movie franchise. Yeah. So Kate Beckinsale is currently doing PR. She has a new movie out. It's called Jolt. It's alongside the likes of Laverne Cox and Stanley Tucci. She's around and about the media scene doing lots of interviews to boost publicity for the new movie. So she appeared on Howard Stern's show to do a little chat with him. As part of that chat, she said this. Oh my Ah. God. Your (laughs) IQ is 152. Do you realize that's like almost Einstein level? Like I said, I'm sure I've become progressively more stupid as the time. Oh, I wish I had a 152 IQ. That's my dream. Every single doctor, every single person I've ever come across has said you'd be so much happier if you were 30% less smart. I'm sure that's true. Listen, trust me, I'm 30% less smart. I'm still miserable. (laughs) And you're happy as you can. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, jeez. 152, the shit you must think up. It's no good to me, though. This is, I mean, it's really not helpful in in my career. I just think it's, might have been a handicap, actually. So what you basically just heard is Kate being asked what her IQ is and after a call to her mum to check, she told Howard Stern that it's 152, which is a level of intelligence that Kate said had been a handicap in Hollywood. Now, apparently, this is a very high IQ. I know shit all about IQ. I did a little bit of research into IQ. So 152 is extremely high, but she does have some fellow peers, some fellow genius peers in the celebrity space. Apparently, Lisa Kudrow is a 154. I see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Ashton Kutcher is a 160. I don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he famous for being, like, super smart? I don't know. (laughs) Well, Quentin Tarantino is also a 160. So she definitely has peers who can kind of rival her intelligence. Now, the majority of us, apologies listeners, have an IQ between an 85 and a 115. An IQ score between 120 and 140 means you are classed as being of very superior intelligence. If you have a score over 140, I mean, Kate is 12 points over 140, it indicates you are either a genius or close to being a genius. I will just like never do this because I don't I'm too know. scared to be <laughs> the results. Can you imagine how devastating it would be <laughs> if you were like below the 85 or whatever it is? And also like the ballsiness of us saying this is the show for smart people who love dumb stuff <laughs> and we get like a deplorable IQ. <laughs> we results. don't even know what our IQs are. <laughs> Let's never find out. Ignorance is way more delicious. So... I think what initially annoyed me when I saw stories like this is because I understood there was a level of snark that was initially reported on Kate Beckinsale for talking about her IQ straight away. And one of the articles that annoyed me the most was this one from The Cut, which led with, sounds hard to be this hot and smart. Now, as I said, every article that came out after that mocked her for acting like a pariah because she's quote unquote so much smarter than everyone else. And I think even though I'm on the record on this podcast saying arrogance is maybe my least favourite trait in humans, even if I felt like she was being really arrogant, 
I don't necessarily think that objectively hurts the world or is like a necessarily bad thing. But if you do actually listen to a long segment of this podcast, which I did, it is imbued with qualifications and self-deprecations with, oh my God, I'm not that smart now. What I think is most interesting about this and what is being forgotten time and time and time again in the reporting is how many times Howard Stern pushed her for her IQ. So what basically happened is he asked her, you're meant to be really smart, aren't you? And she was like, oh, like, I don't know. And he's like, what's your IQ? And she's like, I don't really know. And he's like, but have you been tested? And she was like, yeah, I think so. Mum did it years ago. And he's like, well, what is it? And she's like, I'm not really sure. And he was like, can you ask your mum? And she was like, yeah, it's overnight back in England, but I'll text her, I guess. And then through the show, he kept being like, have you checked in with your mum? What is your IQ? So it's not like this is a scenario where she's coming out and straight away being like, so I have an IQ of 152. This is a relentless pursuit for her IQ. Now, she acknowledged that on Instagram by writing, here is the dilemma. Tell the truth, refuse to answer the question, lie, pretend it was lower. I told the truth and some journalists have been triggered by this. Are we really jumping on women for answering a question truthfully about their intelligence or education? When I said it had been a handicap in Hollywood, it is precisely because being a female and having an opinion often has to be quite carefully packaged so as not to be offensive. These journalists who spun this into me bragging is a part of the exact reason why I say it was a handicap also IQ actually doesn't mean shit. Right. Okay. Very interesting. I'll be honest. I did a little bit of an eye roll when I first saw these headlines. And truthfully, I eye rolled when I saw the whole segment a tiny bit. I'm not saying I'm sitting there going, oh God, Kate Beckinsale, so annoying. Like it wasn't a massive reaction. There was a very small part of me that was slightly like, oh, come on guys. And I think that's because my interpretation of what happened on that show was not that people found it frustrating that Kate Beckinsale is a smart woman. I actually don't think anyone is off-put by the fact that Kate Beckinsale is intelligent. I think the vast majority of people in the population enjoy smart people, are not offended in 2021 by smart women. I think we're actually beyond that. I think what happened is that people were rubbed up the wrong way by potentially a lack of self-awareness by Kate Beckinsale. You, yes, he did prompt her a lot to give her IQ. I will give you that. But I think the way she characterised that IQ and the way she spoke about it was a, just a little bit over the top. It felt like there was a little bit of mayo put on it. She said at one point, every single doctor, every single person I've ever come across has said, you'd be so much happier if you were 30% less smart. And I'm sure that's true. Now, again, I'm just chuckling at quotes like that. It's not like I want to be super nasty. It's not like I want to take pot shots at Kate Beckinsale. But truthfully, I read a quote like that and I'm like, come on now. Like every person in your life yeah. is not saying if you were 30% less <laughs> smart, you would be blissfully happy. There is definitely a level of hyperbole about that quote. There is no doubt about that. I think I definitely agree with you. I don't think the conversation is about whether we can handle smart women or not. I think no one has a problem with Kate Beckinsale being smart. And I think she would acknowledge that too. There is a problem inherently when someone actually publicly, a female on the record says that she's that smart. Like, I think that's where the issue lies. I think what annoys me maybe about the coverage of this story gets to the heart of what annoys me most about the internet. And it's like not giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. Like mm. no one listening to this interview, no one understanding the context, no one going and even checking the tone. Like why there are so many articles about this that haven't even checked the tone that could offer a differing perspective. When I watched this video and Howard Stone was like, oh, I'd kill for an IQ that high. And she kind of went, eh, I don't know, like you, you, would, you probably wouldn't want it. Like a lot of people have told me that it's a handicap. Like immediately I was like, is that just like an awkward deflection? Are you feeling awkward by constantly being put on the spot about your IQ mm. that you kind of don't even want to brag about it, but in doing so people are accusing you of bragging? Mm. And I think if you still don't want to believe that, like if you still don't want to believe that maybe it was a deflection and maybe she was feeling awkward – why wouldn't we consider it feasible that a smart woman in Hollywood who maybe would question things and try to negotiate and have opinions would find it harder in an industry that is famously ruthless and that famously flattens women? Mm, yeah, potentially. I mean, I wonder as well, for me, I didn't have the reaction to this coverage that you did because to me, I think I saw a lot of the articles kind of being like, oh, a hot, smart actress, like, woe is me, she struggles to be so smart. And I kind of see that as punching across. I either see it as punching up or punching across. I do not see it as punching down. Like I didn't read any of this coverage and go, wow, they're really going hard for Kate Beckinsale. I kind of went, 
wow, Kate Beckinsale is incredibly beautiful, incredibly successful, incredibly intelligent as well. And for people to have a little giggle about that and for people to talk about that as in like, oh, she lacks a bit of self-awareness, no one should really be surprised she is a Hollywood actress. I just didn't find it very offensive. I think punching across is totally fine, but I still think it's worth having a conversation about whether we're punching across even if we do feel like those quotes have been misrepresented. Mm. Like I still would want to have a conversation about that. I think I would feel very, very differently about this if she positioned her intelligence as the worst thing in the world and as if her life was much harder than the average person. But she didn't. She basically just said it was a hurdle in an industry that's famously shallow. I was just interested as to why our first position or our knee-jerk reaction action was to mock. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to live in a world where we can't make fun of things. Like that's draining. I want to be able to laugh about as much as I possibly can. But I do feel like this story perhaps demanded a little bit more nuance than maybe it was afforded. Yeah, very potentially. I feel like maybe when it comes to discussions of intelligence, a whole bunch of people feel left out and excluded. Like some people naturally are just not born with high IQs. IQ is something that is incredibly limited. Is it it even relevant today? Well, that's the thing. I wonder if people kind of raised an eyebrow and kind of smirked at either their laptop screen when they watched this or smirked at the articles that they read when they saw the quotes because it feels like something out of the 90s. Yeah. Like discussions around IQ really don't take into account EQ, like emotional intelligence. They don't take into account street smarts. And I think in 2021, we've actually gotten to a place where other forms of intelligence are far more potent and far more relevant because they are what gets people success. I don't think the most successful people in society anymore are necessarily the ones with the highest IQ. The most successful people in society, I would argue, are the ones with the highest EQ. I was going to say the same thing. I think EQ is the most important quality that someone can have at the moment Mm. in this kind of world. So I agree with you. And I think that is part of the denigration of Kate Beckinsale in this story is that maybe they were having a conversation that everybody does eye roll about because they don't think it's relevant. And I will not put the blame on her for that. I will put the blame on Howard Howard Stern Stern for that, for pushing so hard to make her talk about it. Very, very interesting. Annabelle, you just listened to that whole segment. What do you think? Well, I watched the video and if anything, the way she reacted showed that she had a high EQ. Like she did what anyone would have done in that situation put in that situation by Howard Stern she was just responding in a way that was like polite to him answering his questions she was trying to like sorry I know we kind of finished this segment now and go but she was trying to like manage this entire yeah. thing by not being rude to him trying to keep the conversation going but clearly not wanting to talk about mm. it so when I first saw these quotes I was like Mm, Kate, what? Yeah. But then I was like, no, totally fair. You did the right thing. There you go. There you go. We cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this in your Safe Friday, guys. Make sure you follow us on Instagram over at Shameless Podcast. Every Friday between, I don't know, midday and two o'clock. We really just change it every week. <laughs> we pop up all of the different polls on every segment in this episode so that we can get your feedback and hear your thoughts. We cannot wait to hear where you stand on this one. Yeah, we cannot wait. As we said, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and we will be back in your ears for another episode of Scandal on Monday. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.